This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. We got a special spooky show for you this week. It's our fourth week of Spooktober. I've memorized what week of Spooktober it is, everybody. So that we didn't forget. Good job, Andrew. What book did we read this week? Uh, we read Bag of Bones by Stephen King. And to help us get through it, we actually had a guest on. It was a Natasha from the Unspoiled Book Club. Um, you can find more out about that show at uh, twitter.com slash unspoiled show or at uh, unspoiledpodcast.com slash book club. Um, and yeah, it was it was a super a lot of fun to record the episode. I know she posted it on her feed last week. So welcome to any folks from the Unspoiled community. We hope that some of y'all from the Overdue community go check out Natasha's show. She's great. Yeah, it was really great. Um just to preface this, so so there are some cusses in this episode oh, yeah. that we did not edit out. Um, so that's one thing. I know some people listen with their kids, so if you do typically do that, just there's a warning for you. And then we also get into some pretty like sexually explicit uh, territory, including um, stuff about sexual assault. Yes. So if that is something that any of any of you have trouble listening to or just would rather not listen to. Um, that that is mostly toward the end of the show, but um, it's, it's something to be uh, cognizant of as you proceed. Yep, Stephen King is uh, he's Stephen King, and that's <laughs> what the show is about. I'm making light of Stephen King, not making light of the things that Stephen King writes about. No. So that's it, I guess. That's it. All right, everybody, enjoy our episode. We'll be we'll we'll check in with you a couple times. As we go, but uh, in- enjoy the show. It was a good one. Yeah, you guys, I found you by accident. Well, I guess it's not really, but <laughs> how, what constitutes a podcast accident? Um, I was... <laughs> <laughs> I was starting the book club because I had done Unspoiled for several years, and... I had never done the book club thing, but so many people were like, you should cover this one book. And I'm like, ah, doing a whole new feed for one book is kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do a monthly book club thing. And I had just finished Good Omens. It was the first book I ever did. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of feelings. And I was like, I've got to find somebody who's talked about this. <laughs> and I searched Good Omens on the on the podcast app. And you guys were the first ones to pop up. And, uh, and that's then a good I, I hit just... rate, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, like I, I had never heard of anybody finding the show through just like searching for somebody talking about a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I assume just... most people find us because they like just go looking through like the mid twenties in the iTunes literature <laughs> rankings, and they find us. There. Well, I think you guys are really lucky in a way, and it's not luck because you did the work for it. But you have a really huge catalog of books you've covered, so there are going to be things that nobody's really bothered with 
to mm-hmm. do a, like a whole show with the, that book name in the title. Um, there were a couple things I searched today to hear other perspectives and bag of bones was listed, but it was only like one thing that they touched on within the episode and it wasn't sure, focused sure. on it. So I think that, you know, especially if somebody is trying to find ghost train, which I'm sure there's not too many on. <laughs> that was one of my particular favorites. <laughs> so yeah. So bag of bones uh, by Stephen King hits us in the, in the, the spooktober section of the year, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, TM. TM, TM, TM. <laughs> and you've... All rest reserves. You've also done like a bunch of spooky books and you've also done a lot of Stephen King as well, right? On Unspoiled? Um, I've done some. I'm realizing as I like started to find some of the Easter eggs in this book that mm. I haven't read as much Stephen King as I think I have. Um, mm-hmm. because there were a lot of things a friend of mine brought up was like, did you catch this and this? And I'm like, oh, I didn't know about that. Definitely not. Yeah. yeah but, um, the, the one, like I haven't read that much. And yet when I started this book, I still was doing that. Oh, okay. Uh, we have another author protagonist. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. We're in dairy again. <laughs> oh, okay. The number 19 is here again. So even without having a huge amount of his books in my, uh, repertoire, he's, just i guess you could say he's a little self-indulgent with his like you know (laughs) self-referencing but at the same time he kind of pulls it off so i give him a pass where i think i might get angry at somebody else yeah um how about you guys on on the one hand no on the just on the one hand he's obviously clearly he's writing about himself Mm -hmm. but uh, but on the other hand like he does make it fairly interesting like i do kind of care that he's got writer's block and he's having trouble with it so i I don't know he's yeah he's he's a really confident writer like like his characters all have really clear voices which is something i appreciate but yeah i've only i've pretty much only read it i've read Um, years ago i've read cujo I have read Gerald's Game, which is a hoot of a book. Mm, oh, boy. Yo, Gerald's <laughs> Game, a lady spends most of the book handcuffed to a bed. It's a mess. Have you seen that they cool. made a Netflix original series of that S- book? No. They sure did. I- it just came out like two days ago. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know what I'm doing tomorrow. Okay. I could swear that Gerald's game is also the name of that old Pixar short where the old man plays chess against himself. What is Pixar short? I don't. If it's anything like the novel, it better not be. Oh, God. That would be an unfortunate coincidence. Oh, Um, it's called Jerry's game. It's so close. I just can imagine some poor kid Googling (laughs) and just not being ready. I'm not ready. (laughs) (laughs) um i i think i talked about andrew when you read it i talked about i've read needful things that's a big old book uh Mm -hmm. we've covered stand the stand on our show as well but i think that's i don't know i feel like i've probably read one or two my mom was a huge stephen king fan so we had a lot of it like Mm -hmm. lying around the house um and yeah, the stand. You were also exposed I... to Anne Rice and some others in that vein through your. I had a weird <laughs> high school reading list. <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks, I mom. Uh, well, no. <laughs> somehow, I ended up with copies of the Sleeping Beauty series, also as a high schooler, and that's uh, mm, those mm. Are some books, <laughs> those are some sexy books. <laughs> nice. 
for your show, you've covered what you've hit. You've hit it as well. I did yes. it last year, which was a uh, oh, that was an investment <laughs> of time, ladies and gentlemen. It really, yes, it really was. Uh, I did it, and I listened to the audiobook too, which was hysterical oh, sure. because I open it and it's like you have forty three hours remaining, and I'm like, well, <laughs> guess I know what I'm doing for the rest of my month. Um, but I actually finished it like a week early because I just couldn't oh, nice. stop listening to it. Um, and then I'm doing Dark Tower right now. I'm the unspoiled yeah, yeah. one for that. And I'm on book five. Um, and, oh, I know there's other things. I should have looked into exactly how many of his different things I've read. He's one of those writers that, like, I really enjoy while I'm reading. But I totally understand when people are like, I can't stand his voice as a writer. And he makes me uncomfortable enough that I have a hard time coming back to him sometimes. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I was, I was talking to some friends earlier tonight about, about finishing this book. And I was saying, you know, I, I, I might like Stephen King a little bit more if the male gaze was not like the main character in every book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause yeah. he just, he has a way of talking about women in particular that just, it's just a, a tiny bit on the creepy side yeah we'll get into that that was something one have you guys seen the uh the it movie that came out recently no no i have not um it was a lot of people like i thought that it was very true to the book a lot of people were um upset about the gaziness on the beverly character but if Mm -hmm. you've read it that's how it is. Yeah, it's nope, that's super the book. gross. <laughs> like, so I understand people having a problem with it, but also like that's the source material. So in, in a way, I'm like, they did their job really well, though. Yeah. Um, so sometimes only one of you reads the book and describes it to the other who hasn't read it. Did you both read this one? We yes. both read this one. Okay. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So there will be probably a little bit more finishing thoughts of of other folks on this as like we're both more familiar with the plot than we normally are mm-hmm. uh, for our show. Um, but I, we also tend to look a little bit into the author. Stephen King's is kind of a known quantity, as we've just discussed. Um, I did find that, like, the publication of this book was, like... Contentious. Dirt, contentious. contentious. Yeah. Uh, as he told Time Magazine when they asked him about, like, 10 of his longest books... Uh, Stephen King said, I was squeezed out at Viking because Phyllis Grand came from Putnam and she brought with her Tom Clancy, who sold more books than I did. There was a feeling at Viking that they couldn't support two big money writers, and I was the one that went. In terms of profits and loss, that made sense, although Clancy's kind of dropped out of sight. Little dig at Clancy. Uh, (laughs) But the people I deal with at Scribner, where he went, were people who were interested in the book rather than in the reputation of the writer, and he gives them credit for rehabbing his reputation. Um, Part of that is that they went all in on it as like a work of literature because uh, his sales had been sliding. Like he wasn't broke or anything. He's Stephen freaking King, but uh, he wasn't doing as well as before. And Clancy was outselling him. And when Scribner picked him up, they sold it as like a haunted love story. Right. Yeah. So a I, horror book. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. So yeah, I, I found this, um, this piece on tour.com, which dives a little bit oh, yeah. further into like, so it's saying his earlier stuff, like uh, Firestarter, it, the stand were all on the New York times bestseller list for 35 weeks, pet cemetery for 32 Gerald's game for 28. But then um, in the mid nineties, he was going down to like 14, 15, 16. Like I could probably write a book that would stay on the New York <laughs> times bestseller list for 16 weeks. 
<laughs> like, come on. Um, and it's, you know, which, which is fine, but he was also asking for like $16 million advances yeah. on his books. And the and Viking, his publisher at the time, was like, I don't, like, we don't mind investing in a writer, but we also don't want to, like, publish this dude's books that we're just going to break even on all mm-hmm. the time and, like, not make any money. Um, so, yeah, it, it ended up being this this whole thing. And I think it pretty obviously informs the first, like, fifth yeah. or so of this book, which is about his, his um, the, the character, not definitely not yeah, Stephen right. King, but <laughs> Mike Noonan, the completely separate character that he made up. It's kind of ironic um, that he's, like, crediting Scribner with being like, oh, they cared about the book as a piece of artwork and not about, and he's the one asking for insane advances. <laughs> yep. they, they, they did, but the, well, another thing that they did... Um, was they focus grouped a lot of stuff and they found that women in particular were reading him less because he was getting pigeonholed as a horror writer, which I mean, if you write horror books, that's going to happen, happen. I think. I mean, <laughs> I just can't imagine that marketing this as a like supernatural romance and then having it go the direction it does and kind yeah. of shocking your reader is better for your reputation. But sure. you know, what do I know? I don't sell books yeah. for a living. Exactly. <laughs> it ended up like winning. It won the Stoker Award. It won a British Fantasy Award, a Locus Award. And it, it at least that tour article positions it as uh, like a new phase in Stephen King's career where he's this kind of like higher cachet not like a not a genre writer in the way that he always was even though i think some of the previous books are probably of a grander scope than this one mm. even if they were like genre horror books uh he did apparently write it longhand which i find fascinating hmm. considering the agita that our uh stephen king surrogate mike noonan has about his word processors yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah that's it's it's mm, it also tree it trades a lot on Rebecca by Daphne Daphne du Maurier so I think that maybe also be where the haunted love story stuff comes from Mm -hmm. this like old romantic ghosty thing um, that isn't gonna have like a clown like tearing a kid apart or something (laughs) yeah I mean like I can see categorizing it that way if you only read the first half of the book pretty much um And it was such great timing because I did not have anyone advising me to do this. But last month's book was Rebecca. Which yeah, I, right. I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, it was not on purpose. I had never read it. I did not know that it played so heavily in this book. And I had never seen the movie. So I didn't realize, like, you know, that there could be a connection there. So when he quoted it the first time, it's like, oh, neat. I just covered that. And then all of a sudden it started coming up over and over again. And I was like, holy right. shit, that's so perfect. <laughs> Um, but let's get you want to get into the book let's do this craig and drew we've got two sponsors this week count them one two double the sponsors double the fun the first first up is uh, a word from our friends at squarespace you've heard us talk about squarespace before because you're big podcast fans it's a website that helps you make websites yep they're pretty good at it they can help you turn your cool idea into a new website uh you can showcase your work or publish content and sell stuff um they've got a bunch of beautiful templates that can help you 
uh, design the site. You don't need to know how to code or anything. You just go in there. You find the thing you want. You yeah, plug coding words is garbage, and, and people who know how to code are garbage. Actually, they're not. They're probably the people who work at Squarespace who are going to help you make websites. No, but you could believe that and still make a pretty good website thanks to oh, Squarespace. that's true. You could make a website about how coding is unnecessary, which would be a little <laughs> ironic. Uh-huh. Uh, they've got built-in search engine optimization. They've got free and secure hosting. You don't have to like download and like patch and upgrade stuff. It's all on their website. Your website's on their website. It's like a whole thing. Yeah, it's um, nest- nested websites. Matryoshka doll websites. They're encouraging folks to make websites. Like we're encouraging you to make websites. Uh, so-, so if you were, if this interests you, and why wouldn't it? <laughs> Uh, you should head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you are ready to launch, use the offer code name OVERDUE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code OVERDUE, save 10% off your first purchase. Think it, dream it, make it. Squarespace. Harder, better, faster, stronger. Websites. Websites. If you want to get better, stronger, faster, (laughs) harder, cooler, better... You got to put food in you, right? You do. You got to get some food. And you <laughs> better hope that it's fresh food mm-hmm. from your friends at HelloFresh, our other sponsor this week. They are a meal delivery service uh, where all the meals cost less than $10, uh, th- right? That's how it works. They've got yeah, the recipes. Yeah, that's a deal. And, Le- and less than $10 s- a yeah. meal. <laughs> They've got recipes and step-by-step instructions. Uh, so that most of the cooking takes about 30 minutes and that way like novices can get in there. They can learn what to do. Seasoned home cooks can get in there and they don't have to take a lot of time. They can put a lot of seasoning in it and make it theirs. Mm -hmm. Get it? Yeah. No seasoned home cooks. Now that's very funny what Mm, you did there. Delicious. (laughs) And they'll deliver the food right to your food, to your food step, to your doorstep in (laughs) A recyclable. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I'm very sleepy, but I'm very excited about food. Um, uh-huh. So, Andrew, you've gotten a chance to use some HelloFresh products, and by yes. that I mean eat their food. How did yes, it go? Yes, I have. I have eaten their food. It's a. It's a complete food experience. So you oh, take good. everything out of the box. You put it in your fridge. They come in. Um. So. So a couple of things I like about HelloFresh is things like each meal comes in its own discreet little bag. Oh, neat. So you don't need to go like digging around among all the onions to find like the onions <laughs> that are specific to the meal that you're trying to make. Okay, good. Um, and I also think that their ingredients are good, but they're a little more, they're more common. So they're a little easier to find in a grocery store if you have something you like and you want to recreate it later, which is something uh, we really like to do with uh, stuff we get from all kinds of food delivery services. You could also like scale it up. Like if you yeah, need to, yeah, yeah. that's cool. But they do have, I, I do know that they have different size boxes. You can get a classic box. There's like a veggie box. There's a family box. So if you do know that you're getting like a, a larger meal, you can they can accommodate you as well. Mm-hmm. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, you can visit HelloFresh.com and enter the promo code OVERDUE30 for the $30 off. Get it? Get it. Uh, and you will save on this delicious food that will be delivered right to your door. That's promo code OVERDUE30 at HelloFresh.com. So, Andrew, tell us a little bit more about Mike Noonan when we meet him at the top of the book. 
All right. Mike Noonan is a modestly successful genre fiction writer. <laughs> surprise, Are surprise. you reading Stephen King's Wikipedia right now? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he is, he is doing pretty well. He's living with uh, his wife, whose name is Joe. And one day she just like suddenly dies of um, what? What's the what's An the exact? Yeah, yeah. That, that's what it is. Um, and so what happens as a direct result of this is he is in an extended period of grief that he's not really admitting to himself is grief, and it primarily manifests as wicked writer's block. Like every time he every time he hops on the old power book and opens up <laughs> some ancient version of microsoft word to write he is seized by like nausea and like all this physical discomfort that that just (laughs) (laughs) that just completely overpowers him and um so he's got like in the past he wrote two manuscripts a year instead of just the normal one manuscript a year that he normally writes and so he had like four or so books that he could just burn off so he starts sending those to his publisher and as the like main action of the book opens up, he is sending the last of those reserve books in to his publisher, and there's no end to his writer's block in sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, it, having like a pretty great like spat with his publisher that oh, seems yeah. not at all informed by the history <laughs> of this book. <laughs> I love that you say like as the main action of this opens up and that's like 200 pages in i know yeah, right it took uh-huh. a long time for this to really get rolling and in some ways i don't mind that because i'm i'm the like the setting of atmosphere and his history felt important at the time but looking back it doesn't seem as important once i have the whole story kind of in mind yeah and, um, exactly one of my co-hosts had been reading it in order to listen along later and he messaged me on facebook and was like so is this book like 75 percent navel gazing or should i give it a chance because i'm really <laughs> ready to just put it down it no fe- it's only like 20 percent yeah it's not, probably it's around that <laughs> well i i think the the opening fifth to third of the book has an interesting structure because it's he f- he walks us through discovering that his wife died mm-hmm. and like the on f- the first page he's like in the town of Derry, you find out that people died because you see them on tv and you're like well that's a bummer mm-hmm. oops uh and that he also finds in that moment that she had like a pregnancy test in her purse and they confirm in the autopsy that she was pregnant even though they'd been trying for a while and never had a kid and so that's weighing on him and then and there's, that, this, there's this weird little aside where where Mike Noonan is like, I had a low sperm count. Not that low. Like, mostly it was fine. <laughs> but it was enough that we were having trouble conceiving. Bad case um, of writer's block. He has right? uh, medical results printed on the final page so that you can just, yeah. just so you all know. I mean, I just want to be clear. Yeah. And, and so that's like that kind of whole thing. It opens like he's talking to the truck driver that like got in an accident that has nothing to do with his wife's death in like a tragic way where she's like going to help people in a parking lot and she just mm-hmm. falls dead. Um, and then then there's like a scene with her brother and you're walking through his backstory while this like publishing stuff drama is happening. And you're right. It feels like a some other book is going on. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know where it's going. He starts to have these weird dreams of the house that they owned in Maine. And then that's really where the motor gets going. This house called Sarah Laughs. 
in a town that I think doesn't have a name. It's just called TR90. It's an unincorporated territory, which I only just learned about a few months ago regarding something else. Uh, huh. And I didn't know that these are actually way more common than I thought. And the whole politics surrounding that is bizarre. But yeah, so... I kind of like that he does that, too, because he's sort of like, yeah, here goes this weird little town that's kind of like an anomaly and doesn't really exist. Yeah, mm. sure. Yeah, and, and, it can, <laughs> and as the book goes on, it, he can, like, define it by the five major things that happened there and, like, not have to wrestle with any other larger lore or mm-hmm. fiction. Because he is really into dropping little references to the real world mm-hmm. in not the tv show not mtv <laughs> the real world, but uh refer- he's not referencing like puck or whatever um but he is like talking about baseball games and making jokes about the mute button on remote on the remote control and let me you know like andrew was saying like talk about actual uh writing software mm-hmm. and re- you know, name check Daniel Steele and a bunch of actual authors in like a slightly petty way. Um, maybe not slightly. And <laughs> Daniel Steele the prick. But then he can like take this character and put him in a place that is completely, you know, walled off mm-hmm. from our reality, which is which is interesting. Um so yeah, those dreams are weird, huh? That's like <sighs> that's the where the Rebecca stuff starts. Like I, when you're talking about these dreams, I'm like, yeah, they're oh, real yeah. spooky dreams? and weird. The later dream, there's one in particular that just felt like it went on a real long time and was super uncomfortable for me. So oh, we'll I get there. I get yeah. kind yeah. of like with, with King sometimes. And I know that part of what he loves is to like pull in a dream or a vision sequence and not make it clear that that's what's happening. Yes, until so. you're like halfway into it and you're like, oh, okay, this isn't real. Or is it? Mm, yeah, um, right. But yeah, the dream thing was where I kind of wish the book had actually started. I wish that we had sure. started with this and gotten a little bit of like a covering what had happened in a, not necessarily a flashback, but just a little bit of an info dump. And we started here because this is where I started to be. Oh, he's getting like called to this house. This is weird. Yeah, right. Like, like there, there are a lot. There's a lot of repetition in this book. Mm-hmm. And I think some of it, some of it helps build suspense and like create atmosphere. And some of it is just repetition. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I do think if the book had started with the dreams instead of with Stephen King, just like working some stuff out for for 200 pages. Um, We, I I think the reader could pick up through context clues. Like he, he had a wife, she died suddenly and, and pregnant Mm -hmm. and under mysterious circumstances. And, and she, it turned out she's doing some stuff secretly and not telling him about it. And so that's like a little sub mystery that needs to be wrapped up. And, and, yeah, this, this doing the step by step. Here's everything that he did every day for the entire four years, yeah. and now we're gonna start telling our haunted our haunted love story. But yeah, that that like four year much. interim should not be feeling like four years to me. Yeah, you know, there's the there's the dream. So he's having a series of dreams about this house called Sarah Laughs um, that they owned together. He and his uh, late wife. And he like a summer home, yeah, in like a summer northern home, northern Maine, I think. Yeah, TR ninety, 
uh, not a calculator, and he uh, <laughs> like is seeing specific things about the house. Like there's like overgrowth. There's like a sticker on a sign or something. There's and then he gets spooked by one where like a, a creature or a ghost or something comes after him, and he wakes up like on the floor having like jammed his head against the wall and soiled himself. And it's just a bad time. Oh, I forgot um, that detail. Yeah, I know. <laughs> ooh. Uh, but that's that could be the the opening of the book. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, I had a I had a spooky dream that you know caused me physical harm, <laughs> and now I'm gonna go to the place in the dream to see what's up. Yeah, I think that this is kind of like the crux of his writing to be honest is that he does a lot of table setting that may or may not actually be necessary and it really depends on what kind of reader you are if you're into that or not and that's a big factor in it also is just the extensive setting for every single character and when you have like five main characters that is a lot of time so yeah because that book really does not get going until almost like halfway through yeah. as i recall like it takes it takes a while so then he he goes up to this house he, he's like as you said andrew he's like i'm gonna break this writer's block i'm gonna go up to this house i'm gonna deal with the fact that i haven't been there since my wife died and there's like a sequence where his first visit there he it doesn't feel good and his first night there he hears like a child crying and then he's like, well, maybe that's a ghost. Maybe it's maybe like it's the, the pipes. Maybe it's the pipes. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've ever been in uh, an unfamiliar house and been like, is that a ghost or something in the house? I guess. I don't know. I don't know if I actually believe in ghosts, but I can get spooked by the idea of them. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's same. True. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're like, oh, OK, so he might be in this haunted house and he's going to have to deal with that. He's going to have to deal with his wife or whatever. And then turn the page. New chapter. Let's have a new story. Let's have a whole story about this lady and her daughter that's going to take over the rest of the book. Yeah. Um, talk, yeah. Walk me through Walk me through that opening, <laughs> that highway scene. Okay. So here is a little girl walking down the middle of the road. And I have real He's just trying to get a burger. This. He's just trying to go get a burger, right? Yes. He's like, just trying mm-hmm. to live his life. People, mm-hmm. God. And this little girl is in the middle of the road, and he was going somewhat slower than most people and is able to hit the brakes. But if he had been traveling at the average speed, she would have died probably. And he jumps out, grabs her. Her mom comes storming up, and he expects her mom to be this really trashy, abusive, terrible. And this was something that I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I'm like, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. On the other hand, I'm like, just don't, though. Can you not? Um, And the fact that she's super pretty and looks so much younger than she... Oh, I can't believe you have a daughter. And also is actually affectionate to her child and apparently concerned with her well-being. Both impress him to a degree that I don't really feel is appropriate. (laughs) And then... Because he got for a while, he, like, expounds on how she must be trailer trash, like, awful whatever and it's yeah it's it's his the way that he thinks about both maddie who's the the mom and um kyra who's the the daughter sometimes is just really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. there's the part Um, where he envisions like he catches himself thinking about 
what's going to happen when Ky- or Kyra, Kira, Kyra, let's go with Kyra. Kyra, I, I think. think Kyra. Yeah. Um, I think they, they say a few times like Kai rhymes oh, with Oh, you're right. You're right. Sorry. Yeah. Um, where like he's like, oh, well, when she grows up, she's going to get pregnant early and she's going to have two kids and oh, one of them's going to be trash and... Like, and then he's even like, that's not cool. I'm like, no, you, it's not. You didn't need it. It's okay if you didn't think that. I think, too, it just has an extra, like, edge to it because he's supposed to be this millionaire. So it just yeah. feels, like, so extra classist coming from that particular character. And maybe he wants – but, like – there are times where I feel like that's done intentionally, and I feel like that is not supposed to be our takeaway from this character. And he un- he kind of showed his hand there for a second. Yeah, right. Um, that's a that's a thing that happens throughout the book, right? Is just mm-hmm. this like, uh, are we supposed to be okay with this guy? And I, like, I'm all for playing around with that line, but like, this book spends too much time on the wrong side of it. I think where it's like we're not. We're we're too invested in him to cast enough judgment on him. I think I'm trying to find a specific passage where he's talking about this three year old. Um, oh, I was, glad, I was glad I was too old to be one of her future boyfriends. She would have them jumping through hoops all through high school and college. Hoops of fire, likely. Uh, well, the high school part anyway. Girls from the double wide side of town did not, as a general rule, go to college unless there was a JUCO or a VocTech handy. And she would only have them jumping until the right boy, or more likely the wrong one, came sweeping around the great curve of life and ran her down in the highway, her all the while unaware that the white line and the cross mock were two different things, and the whole cycle would repeat itself. Just like, what? I mean, (laughs) I mean... Yeah, and then like, and he's in the middle of being in, in, impressed by this lady because she's pretty and nice, and right. also the- she has like fancy. She reads real books in her trailer, <sighs> yeah. and she has like paintings on the wall. Yeah, so, and sort he's, of. He's like, oh, do you uh, play video games? Uh, really do you you like comics well name me one character from i'm just like dude you need to not have this weird checklist um and then he notices people slowing down and really staring and to a degree that he's like what the hell is like he knows that this town people are in each other's business but it just feels extreme even for this area and right. later on, we find out that she is related to a person of importance in town. And so everybody is kind of up her ass all the time. Um, yeah. So she she is a recent widower. Uh, she was married to the son of a, like, crazy old software evil millionaire. <laughs> like, left. He's like an evil Bill Gates. Yeah, kind who, of. like left town and may or may not have started a huge fire when he did so that like burned a bunch of houses and killed some people um and andrew i made a note of his this guy this is max devore who Mm -hmm. is this software mogul Mm -hmm. uh let me know if you know what any of this means andrew okay sure thing he started when memory was stored on magnetic tape instead of in computer chips, and a warehouse-sized cruncher called Univac was state-of-the-art. He was fluent in COBOL and spoke Fortran like a native. That, yeah, you those know, are all things. Those are, those are all things? Yeah. yeah they, Fortran? They, they, I, don't, I don't buy Fortran. it. <laughs> Fortran is a, uh, a programming language. Okay, it's not like a Star Trek species? <laughs> 
Well, the, I thought that I it mean, was the, a really ugly uh, subreddit. Is it not? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it can be a lot of things. The You're, four train can be a violent is? warrior race from the sure. beta quadrant, <laughs> and also it can be a programming language. Um, so d- Max Devore becomes our like antagonist aside from ghosts, but I, I don't want to miss this opportunity to share a quote from Stephen King from a CNN interview he gave around the publishing the publication of this book. Um, he's talking about Mike and Maddie's relationship because lo and behold, there something's gonna happen there. He's looking at her too much for something not to happen. In he a talks King about book. her boobs like a lot, a lot. like the, a lot. I mean, they're he says a lot. He's like they're small, but like I like them, and you're like, they're, like, they're <laughs> nice, like. <laughs> Oh, it wasn't it's that low. <laughs> <laughs> and my so, totally within the normal range <laughs> sperm count. Yes. Um, he says, in several of the reviews of Bag of Bones, people have said about Maddie that she's an unformed character, that she's not mm. as satisfying as some of the other characters in the book. Well, I'm sorry, but when you have a 20-year-old girl who lives in a trailer, who's been married since the age of 17 and widowed a couple of years later, who's trying to sort of scrape by, that is not the stuff of which fascinating, paradoxical, bewitching characters are made. So Wrong. I did the best with what I could. Stephen King. Jeez. So yeah, the only people in life who can have worthwhile, like, interesting experiences are troubled middle-aged male writers. Like, this is the evidence of somebody who doesn't know a lot of people in this situation and knows them as as a kind of like anecdotal. Because those are some of the most interesting people because they've had to go through some shit. I know exactly. But yeah, this is this is a twenty-year-old interview. I wonder if I presented Stephen King with those words today, if he might be like. I don't know. I would hope that he would have that reaction. I hope he wouldn't just be like, hey, Craig, life is what it is. And then like throw money at me and tell me to leave. Yeah, there are some things that uh, I'm on tape saying from my podcast five years ago that I would not enjoy having thrown in my face. So, you know, yeah. it happens. We all grow up. But he mm-hmm. was old when he said that. That's or right. Older anyway. Um so this this plot becomes like the new thing and it does it relates to the books that Noonan writes. So he does he writes uh like pot boilers where a young lady meets a mysterious older stranger a lot. Mm-hmm. So and this is something I think King does a lot too, right? Where he like part of the advantage of having a writer as your main character is that you can drop literary references and r- kind of s- slyly reference that you're reading a book in the first place. As, as like an excuse to get out of some stuff that you're doing. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> as yeah. like a, you can drop a cliched situation or a relationship and like say you're commenting on it. Or... Yeah, right. And then, and then you have Mike in a little aside being like, wow, if this was a plot point in a book, it would be like this. It yep. would be saying this thing. <sighs> and then yeah. that happens. Yeah. <laughs> if this, somebody um, wrote this, I would never believe it. But here it is. <laughs> <laughs> so weird you say that. So the the big story is that the the grand, evil grandpa, evil computer grandpa, is trying to steal this girl. <laughs> Can you please just call him that for the rest of the episode? <laughs> evil computer I'm trying to get. I'm trying to figure out which moniker is going to stick. I think it's evil. Computer I think grandpa. evil computer grandpa is it. Yeah. I'm He's picturing to... some kind of robotic character from Futurama yes. that's very yes. an old man. I like it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Some sort of old grandpa bot, um, <laughs> and he is gonna steal this little girl and so now this rich writer hires a lawyer to like win this custody battle 
And this plot we, is... We un- talked about why he feels like he has a right to this little girl in the first place, right? No, like, hit me with Maddie that. was married to his youngest son uh-huh. who died in a storm, I guess, basically. And... Um, and yeah, he he wants he wants his heir at least on the surface. Like for most of the book, that is that is the conflict we are dealing with. Mm-hmm. Is... Yeah, and there's like a sense that he like uh, Lance was supposed to live a different life, but he chose like a trash life with Maddie. And divorced people are trying to frame her as some like terrible mother, which is why this whole like girl wanders into the road is such a bad situation. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I just like I oh man it just the thing that really got me about Maddie's character over and over again is that he has he's written her as this like really trusting sweet person and I'm sorry but once you get to that point where you've been like fucked over and screwed with as much as she had been that's not really going to be a like defining characteristic of your personality anymore yeah and you've been spending a hundred percent of your time defending your child from being taken from you. Um, so I yeah, found she still it... goes and works at the library and then like is surprised when given the circumstances, she gets mysteriously fired mm-hmm. and it's like, right. yeah, well, yeah like, well. I've, I've got to, I've got to imagine that eventually you would take a dim view of like rich strangers offering to help you out, which is what Mike does. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say is just like, if I had been in her position and some dude swoops in and is leering at my small but appealing breasts <laughs> and offering me lots of money to help me, I would be – all kinds of alarm bells would be going off. And she – I guess we're supposed to think Mike is so charming and so clearly trying to do the right thing and has such a like honest nature that is immediately apparent that she trusts him. But it feels like she trusts everybody. Yeah, that's um, true. So, yeah. Even though the town is, like, turning their back on her. Yeah, the like, town completely. has been, like, spying on her on behalf of, like, what it, what it equates to, like, her nemesis. And yeah. she's Evil still computer just, grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is all happening while Mike is slowly being increasingly haunted in his house in Sarah Laughs. <laughs> so, like, stuff like... You know, the child crying pipes, and he has a deer head on his wall named Bunter that has a bell, and sometimes the bell rings, which is like a callback to when he and his wife had sex on the couch all the time, and they'd talk about it like being that they were ringing his bell, which is sort of weird. Oh, my God. They're weird. They're a weird marriage. (laughs) They were a very sexually active couple, (laughs) BT Dubs. He talks about that a whole lot. He does. Nothing nothing wrong down there. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Everything's great. All the the pipes work. Um, Unless they're haunted by dead children. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, like he can't tell who's haunting it. He starts getting messages on his fridge. Like he has the fridge... Letter, uh, magnets, letter magnets, yeah. Um, which you have, Andrew. Have you ever gotten a message from ghosts on your fridge? I've gotten like notes from my father-in-law, where I'll <laughs> like he'll come and visit, and then he'll write something weird on the fridge, and I won't notice it for two weeks. I'm like, how how long has it said that on our fridge? <laughs> so the answer is yes. Yes, yes the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I really like that. This just turns into like instant messenger for him for a little while uh-huh aim is and shutting it, down but uh we've got it on our fridge it's, it's fine 
at first it's happening like when he's not around and then like he just starts watching it happen like mm-hmm. he just starts watching the magnets move and with most haunted house stories i just have the reaction of like why are you still there <laughs> why don't you leave and this like to jump ahead just really quickly yeah there's this reveal later that like he gets all of a sudden his writer's block is gone and he can write and he was like mm. oh how mysterious i'm churning out pages and then it turns out that like the first word of each sentence on a certain page make like writes the sentence they can use letters on your fridge why didn't they just write this out on the fridge yeah, in like the first the... place <laughs> i don't understand <laughs> <laughs> it's not a long sentence it's the owls are under the shed or something like yeah, yeah. it's it's so the the like his sarah laughs the house which is a weird name for a house and i'm never gonna not think it's weird um it's like thematically it works for the book but that doesn't make it not a weird name for a house um there are at least two ghosts in there that appear to be like fighting each other so there is one like sort of benevolent presence who he's pretty sure is his his wife Joe who is telling him to like stay and to help out Maddie and Kyra and then there's this other presence that is like and and, and I I my understanding was that the like the owl message in the book that he was writing had to be that subtle because otherwise like the malevolent ghost would have like noticed it and put a put a stop to it because okay. the malevolent ghost isn't a fan of his book so it wasn't yes, gonna read right. stuff. exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know she's bad she doesn't like those mike noonan classes <laughs> um but so so what ends up to to like skip ahead i guess and um and fill out the rest of what this ghost story ends up being is um, back around like the turn of the 20th century, yep. there was this uh, woman named Sarah Tidwell. Um, she's a black woman who lives in this community, and um, and is a like is a as a singer, and she is pretty well regarded. Like everybody's still pretty racist, but they like her singing. And she and her like her young son and other family members are sort of making a home in this community and there are some men who really don't like it and they uh, come upon her uh, while she's out walking one one evening and they all rape her and end up killing her and her like three-year-old's boy yep um and so what ends up happening is her ghost ends up like haunting the families of all of these people and basically every like all of these families have kids that they they give some name that like starts with a K and then when they're around like three or four years old their parent like one of their parents kills them under yeah. mysterious circumstances. Yeah. Usually some sort of drowning. Yes. yes. And um so uh Mike it, it turns out has like a a tie to one of these guys like he was his great uncle or something and um and so this this malevolent ghost is trying to kill kyra because she's a you know she's a small kid with a with uh with blood ties to these people who did this awful thing yeah including an ancestor of computer grandpa of evil computer grandpa he had an evil analog computer grandpa wasn't before computers though. It was like an evil lumberjack grandpa. Well, it's like an evil oh, an evil abacus grandpa 
yes. was part of that whole scene. And so, yeah, Kira is, is att- being attacked there. And it's also worth noting that Mike, when he initially hears Kira's or Kyra's name, excuse me, um, freaks out because he wanted to name his daughter like Kaya. And so he's like, Whoa, oh, what? And yeah, he like and, takes and so it. His, yeah. yeah. When, when his wife found out she was pregnant and he said he wanted to give the kid the specific like K name. She, I don't even know why she starts digging around, but she starts digging around. She eventually finds out this story from people in town. Like nobody wants to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. But she finds out about these hauntings and about all the deaths. And she like knows that unless she does something, something bad's going to happen to her as yet unborn child. Which it does anyway. Which yeah. it does um, anyway. I really, and one of my favorite things about this reveal about Sarah is that earlier on, it's not really made clear yet that Sarah and her family were going to be such a huge part of the plot. And you just yeah. hear about them being part of kind of the landscape of this town as it was being built by the families that are there now. And he says something just so precious, like how it was so strange. They stayed and then all of a sudden they just kind of picked up and left and nobody knew. <laughs> yeah, I guess right. they just decided they wanted to move on. And I'm reading uh-huh. it going, okay, I bet that not, seems no. unlikely. Yeah. I bet there's a very specific reason why they suddenly picked up and disappeared and moved on. Why uh-huh. the only black family that was living in a town filled with people who had served in the civil war mm-hmm. and there's like a, oh do you remember that bit where there's they go into this is uh evil abacus grandpa i think is talking in the past and he's talking about how he served for the union not because he hated slavery but because he hated those damned rebs like he yeah hated, like they oh they tried to leave the united states because they didn't like the rules I, yeah, i'm geez. still a bigot don't get me wrong, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I can't stand a traitor. And so it's like, oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, of course they just left because they wanted to. Right. Idiot. I just I loved the way like it was. And I was just really side eyeing it hard at the time because <laughs> I at the, I was sort of like, you know, usually Stephen King doesn't shy away from this kind of stuff sure. too much. Yeah. So why? And I sort of let it go because I just figured, well, it's not, you know, a main part of this plot, but then it turns out like it's the whole thing. And I was like, Oh, all yeah, right. Well, right. I should have trusted you a little bit more, I guess. Um, and there's the moment with his, uh, what's the name of the caretaker of his house that watches it and like uh, make sure everything's running. Is Billy, it bill? Is it bill? Is it Billy Dean? <laughs> yeah. Bill, bill Dean, Jimmy Dean. Yeah. Cause the sister's name is Carla Dean. The one yeah, who, right. who died. Yes. Yeah. And he's, like, talking to him about, like, I wonder why they moved on. And he's like, well, you know, they were just wanderers. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is one of those moments where you're suddenly, like, you know, somebody says something on Facebook and you're like, oh, no, I need You've to unfriend been revealed. you. Yeah, right. <laughs> and not and even even, even, they... Mi- even Mike is like, well, hmm, I, there was another word <laughs> yeah. that yeah. you are going to say instead of wanderers. You could totally see it. It's like when you see somebody that you thought was mostly rational, but the thing they commented on pops up in your feed yeah. because they don't realize. And so you see their like horrific response to something and you're like, oh, you would never say that where I could see it because you uh-huh. don't know that I can see this. And I was like, yeah, this is something I think we're all growing a little bit more familiar with recently, buddy. Sorry. Um, so the algorithm got you again. <laughs> this, uh, so this like r- this gross injustice visited on this woman 100 years ago 
is this like you know racial horrific murder and crime that then is like haunting the town forever mm-hmm. and that's like an interesting that's a little bit bigger than just you know the family sins you know land on its descendants it's a little bit more about like america writ large but still very specific to this small town um we're we've that's what kind of happens at the end of the book and then like that ghost has to be expunged for anybody to live mm-hmm. calmly and safely um there are a couple things that happen in the middle of the book that I don't want us to miss. Sure. Um, one of which you alluded to earlier, Natasha, is the um, the the crazy dream that happens. Oh my god! So we've met Maddie. You're gonna have to be more specific. <laughs> well, this is we've met Maddie. We know who Sarah is, and we know mm-hmm. that Joe is also in the house. So sure, there's a dream that happens. Would you like to take it's- it away? <laughs> I really wouldn't. Okay. Oh man, there's just like, is it is it a foursome when they're all separate? He's having sex with each of them in a different room in his house simultaneously in his dream. Oh yeah, this one. So okay, like this is kind. This is one of those moments where I'm I'm listening to this as the audiobook, and I'm like, I really wish that I had the book right now because I can't trust the words I'm hearing in my brain. This yeah. doesn't make any sense. And it and then he has. I don't know how many of you have listened to this audiobook, but it's no. narrated by Stephen King. Oh, that's oh, right. My goodness gracious. He's not the best. <laughs> and he's not, the best. <laughs> he's not like, he has this weird sort of flatness that he brings to things sometimes. And, um, and when he's like reading as Sarah with oh, her sure. accent, it can get a little off and strange. And the whole yeah, thing's so off and strange already. Mm-hmm. Um, because he sometimes does like a, a bit of dialect stuff, mm-hmm. and I could I could see him reading it being like pretty, just like pretty off putting. Yeah, depending on how he handles it. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's just it was so it was once it ended and it's clear that it was a dream. I was like, I don't know what just what did I just hear? Like I had to go back. I didn't want to, but I like had to had go back to, and yeah. read it on paper and be like, okay, so exactly what i heard is the thing that i heard mm-hmm. okay that's too bad um no. <laughs> but yeah um i just don't really like it's it's things like this that i'm i am kind of like what was the purpose of it though i don't understand other than you know sarah was raped but it doesn't feel like this is a commentary about that yeah because at this point in the book we don't know that yet so you don't even as you're experiencing it you're like why is she sort of sexually terrorizing yeah him. well mm-hmm. and you're not and you're not even sure what her connection to the story is yeah. yet or mm-hmm. if she's supposed to be good or bad or neither or just what the what the deal is um maybe it's just like oh could could a guy with a low sperm count <laughs> have sex with three people at once well but okay so remember this <laughs> he wakes up and he has he's like not sure what he's also not sure what happened and he wakes up, he goes down to his typewriter, and he finds that he has typed out like a crazy page of text. And it says, Joe, Sarah, Maddie, Joe, Sarah, Maddie, 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 Sarah, Sarah, Joe, Johanna, Sarah, Joe, Maddie, Sarah, Joe. And then in lowercase, a couple lines down, normal sperm count, sperm norm, all's rosy. <laughs> Holy shit. I did not remember that, in fact. And like this ghost. I remember it now. Sarah, Sarah Tidwell clearly is like, haha, low sperm count. Oh, yeah, 
ah, oh, that's so like, I, it's just such an unintentional, because the thing that lead up to Sarah's rape is that grandpa, computer man's grandpa, um, is like trying to confront her on this walkway that he considers yeah. totally off limits to her. And she's walking up and down it like a white person and he's not cool with it. Mm-hmm. So he wrangles up a bunch of people who are only really like half heartedly behind this, but he's such a yeah. compelling personality that they're sucked into it in a way, not trying to, uh, you know, keep the responsibility from falling on them as well. But there is a sort of personality that can make things seem like a good idea in the moment when they're not. And, she not only doesn't back down when he confronts her, but she gets in his face and he falls on his ass and tears his pants. Yeah, and, it's very goofy. Right? And she laughs at him. And that's the and moment. That, that ends up being the final indignity. <sighs> and there's something about this like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to reference your sperm count, you dick. Like she's just <laughs> like, "Hey, I'm going to humiliate you men in every way I can because apparently y'all can't handle that. So let yeah. me just keep on poking at whatever I know is point. your sore spot, which mm. I don't know if that was an intentional thing, but I really want to believe that because honestly, we're not supposed to be rooting for Sarah in this story. And I kind of was because I was fuck yeah, all these guys. Yeah, I had a lot of trouble with that, actually, because she's this malevolent evil presence. And then by the time well, and, that and then you find out like 85 yeah. percent of the way through the book, actually, she is the real victim and. And, like, yeah, we do feel bad also for the innocent three-year-old girl, but it just – it really is too bad that that you have to – you end up – like, the, the actual guy who you can really hate without feeling bad about it, evil computer grandpa and his whole family, ends up, like, not being that no, huge of a No, he kills factor. himself. There's, there's, a cool, there's a cool scene where his, like, woman companion – uh, throws rocks at Mike while he's in the in the lake. <laughs> they I knock him into the lake so and throw much. a bunch of rocks at him. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I can't even overstate. I was like that part. I was listening to it just like, oh no way! Like yeah, right. Just this old woman, like ex softball player, yeah. just being in him. In well, a, and, like, like ugh, the the so audacity good. of this evil grandpa in his like super rich guy motorized he's like super scooter yeah being like yo she played she was an all-star softball pitcher let's go and he's and she's just like he's like oh what what, what does kyra call her uh, she calls her the white nana because yeah, of her hair nana. and so it's like like a pokemon match it's like white nana go oh and she God. just starts hurling rocks at this guy in the lake he almost eats it. Like he almost yeah, dies. It was, it was very uh, it was close. Super effective. He gets saved by a by a ghost. But then, but then, old guy just like dies. And then it's like okay. And you I run was into so him in a dream a couple of times. But yeah, he's he's not a he's he's not the, the ultimate big antagonist. Yeah. Like you end up having you the ultimate antagonist ends up being this poor woman who's who like unspeakable horror was visited upon her for no reason at all mm-hmm. yeah and that ends up being the person who we're supposed to and, and and to be fair like the book is also like in the in the little epilogue where it just kind of explains everything point by point <laughs> in case you missed it it also makes it clear that like mike mike feels sorry for sarah yeah true um but there's, a, I think this may also tie into some other King stuff I'm just not familiar with. But like there was some otherworldly like 
super ghost that that the Sarah ghost the outsider into. Yeah. yeah right who is who is like even worse and sort of raging out of control and, and I don't know this was something because I kind of wondered if that wasn't like and maybe it is a tie-in that would explain part of it but I like the idea that the whole deal with you know first of all there being a black community moving in on our space outsiders in that sense mm, sure. mike mm-hmm. is constantly reminded like you're not from here we don't know you like we're nice yeah, right. to you and we accept you for the most part but never think that you're part of this town um and so for there to like be this like ultimate outsider kind of mm. you know i just although i do kind of wish that this wasn't a factor because it just being sarah would feel so <sighs> I feel like the fact that she had to enlist help to, like, yeah, wreak sure. her revenge kind of, like, takes away a little of the impact of that for me. Um, and also, I just like the idea that it wasn't just what happened to her, but the fact that the entire town kind of knows what happened and they don't want to address or... And that, I think, is, like, when, Craig, when you were talking about this being a like symbolic of the United States in general is really the thing, right? Is that, yeah, we, we know that this happened, but people don't want to face up to it and address it and, and admit that this is still here in our face. And I feel like she's like, you are going to acknowledge me. And if that means that I take your children away, well, that's kind of on you, isn't it? Um, which yes, well, and uh, and there's what I you can well, that's an interesting read of this book because you can then you look at Mike being like oh but you know there's this whole thing that you alluded to Andrew where he thinks that his family is from a different part of Maine and that he doesn't have any connection possible connection to the the generation that committed this crime and then like it comes out that he did and there that is an interesting thing to consider where it's like yeah if you go back far enough you're you're related to someone who's guilty if you're mm-hmm. not guilty now yeah, like right. and just what are you going to do about that and and what do you mike is trying to be a good guy most of the time when he's not gazing all over the place but in this particular instance it's interesting to be like hmm no you're still we're all still part of the problem dude like mm-hmm. welcome aboard yeah like that those issues are really really interesting and they are they are i think the most interesting and I don't know if successful is the right word, but like the most thought provoking part of the book. Yeah, certainly. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's just the main issue is that they feel a little incidental. Like you, yes. you brush up against them, but like the main point is Mike and his like dealing with Joe's death and dealing with his relationship with, with Maddie and, and with Kyra mm-hmm. and with this and with this whole community. And then just like, as as a side story, you get all this really like racially charged stuff about like who is like who is responsible now for stuff that their like forefathers did, and mm-hmm. and like how do you make that right, and can you make it right, and I don't I don't know. Yeah, I I have to agree. Like I was kind of disappointed to realize how far we were in the book by this point. Because yeah, sure. I yeah. thought there was going to be some more digging in on this, and instead. He brings up this incredibly, like, compelling and, frankly, emotionally draining 
part of the story yeah drops it on you and then is like and then we stopped the ghost the end and i'm like hold (laughs) on though what yeah um, and it, that follows this, like, as he even points out this very convenient Raymond Chandler action sequence, um, which is another one like, oh, let me hand wave over uh, a plot device that I'm using to cause the climax of my book, where there's like a gunfight at the end of a barbecue. Yeah, that mm. felt really just like really apart from the entire rest of the book at that point. We're, no. we're, we're like celebrating the custody like win because evil grandpa died and then like his minions show up and bad bad things happen after i will this is a good struck me funny andrew Mm -hmm. um the (laughs) i really want you to do this at a party that we go to andrew they're throwing a barbecue (laughs) and maddie says uh to mike can you go in and get the boom box we need to play some music and he goes in grabs a boom box and some cds and walks outside, and I am quoting this book. He says, hey, guys, let's rock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, precious baby. And then and then a couple pages later, there's like a huge gunfight. <laughs> like, are we... No, okay, y'all might be able to clarify this for me, but are we supposed to think that Sarah is so desperate to get her hands on Kyra that she's sort of orchestrated this gunfight in order to get the custody of Kyra to the white nanny so that she would kill the little girl. That or- is an interesting point. It's hard to tell actually. Now th- there is like, there are a lot of explicit examples of Sarah, like working through the people in the town who are not work, who are not like working entirely on their own, like free will to, sort of hem Mike in and and try and keep him away mm-hmm. from Maddie and Kyra and to try and keep Maddie and Kyra there, like to keep them from leaving. Right. Um, but yeah, there's, there's the, this is the spot where like the actual real world, like legal machinations of, of this divorced evil computer grandpa family and the supernatural stuff sort of collide because mm-hmm. yeah. it, like, like, evil computer grandpa ends up committing suicide and so maddie and everybody all think oh hey he's dead i don't have to worry about him trying to take the take take my daughter anymore and it ends up they were just playing like 10 dimensional chess and they were yes. like 20 steps ahead of the whole time i yeah like sarah sarah is trying to work through mike to kill kyra and i guess when that fails and like mike fights back the ghost just sort of like works on whoever is is the next most convenient person in line sure. I, I don't know but okay um, yeah it was sort of strange because at the end of the audiobook there's a break and then there's an interview with Stephen King mm-hmm. um and it's it's uh, it's just weird to have him have be the narrator for the whole thing and then to suddenly have somebody else interviewing him and <laughs> he is talking about how he really wanted there, and I was just once I heard him say this, I'm like, you know, that wasn't anyone's takeaway, right? He wanted <laughs> it, there to be this huge conflict within Mike about this girl that he's into that is just too young for him, 
And that was like a major focus in his interview about how there's just moments where you're where you're faced with this sort of conundrum and that Maddie's death really just sort of uh, erased the problem for him. And he never actually had to make that choice and decide whether or not he was going to pull the trigger on something that was maybe inappropriate. And it was just such a weird like so you killed her so that you didn't have to have Mike be. A maybe like a, less likable character. Adult? Oh no! <laughs> and treating her, she's a grown woman. Yeah, she's younger than him, but she just because but she also she's can younger, make her own decisions. Like yeah, just, it was um, just such a bizarre thing that he caught, brought up a couple times. And you get yeah, like you, you do get you get a little tiny bit of that from Mike, where he is like, oh, she's pretty young though, but mm-hmm. it's. Like, it's in that same tone of voice that you would use where you're like, eh, I shouldn't have another piece of cake. <laughs> where you're I don't like, know you what know, you're talking about, it, I'm sure. You know 100% that you have already decided you're going to have that piece of cake. But if you have, like, an internal conflict, like a fake conflict about it, mm-hmm. maybe you'll feel a little, like, better about it. I don't well, know. <laughs> and he also, he also spends, I think he, I believe him way more when he is... Uh, ups- he's concerned about the appearances. He con- he's concerned about the situation given the custody battle. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, even though he breaks his own rules and his lawyer's rules, he's concerned about the the town seeing them together and what that might do to their legal standing, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, I, bu- I buy that way more than any sort of like, mm, I don't, she's a little young. Like yeah, that, agreed. Um, I don't remember him saying that too often. I more, and he also doesn't spend too much on a like I'm a widower bit either. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit where his brother-in-law is like, "Hey, you should like go have some fun, dude. Like, yeah, go for it." And he's like, "Meh, I don't know." Yeah, there um, was a character I could have like seen a lot more of and been happy yeah, with it because he's really yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. That seemed, yeah, I, that's an interesting thing for him to say at the end of the audiobook. Isn't that like, know. I just, I really would kind of love to have interviews with authors at the end of every audiobook and just hear their bizarre fixation on a thing that you didn't care about while you were reading and they're <laughs> acting like this was sort of like, just, I didn't even notice that, you know? And if there's huh. this odd part where Mike Noonan's reflecting on how he wrote in so many easy, quick deaths of characters mm. and how cheap and unnecessary it feels now that he's actually seen someone die that way which is such a weird moment because i'm like yeah i don't know what is what he's trying to say there like king you wrote that though and i'm i'm feeling like you're saying this but you also don't like you did it what am i what's my takeaway supposed to be on that yeah right exactly um Especially like yeah, like this is positioned to some big like rebrand for him, it's, right? It's ending on such a strange, inconclusive note about like how these kinds of books are written and and mm-hmm. operate. I don't know. And yeah. especially after listening to him address like, oh well, you know, I kind of had her killed off, so he didn't have to make that choice. And I'm like, you say in the text how cheap and easy that kind of death is, and then in the interview directly afterward, you're like, well, yeah, you know. And it just seems <laughs> like you're confirming your own. I, maybe that is the point. Yeah. But especially when Matt, when Maddie feels like a character that isn't fleshed out, 
to have he, her. That's all, that's all he had to work with, though. Oh kind God. of a break. She's yeah, just a girl geez. from a trailer park. She what's can't be interesting. This, what's he supposed to do with this fictional character that he made up? He can't make her any more interesting. And he can't, like, he has her have this... <sighs> Listen. <laughs> They're at this barbecue, and she stands on a frisbee and dances... Uh huh. And, and like don't the tell four me you've never been to a party there. where someone danced on a frisbee. <laughs> yeah, right. Come on. Yeah, I mean, you know, the party's really started when the frisbee it, dancing yes, kicks in. Somebody starts dancing on the frisbee. <laughs> we're we're way off the beaten path at this point, but yeah, that party's weird because it's a bunch of dudes and Maddie mm-hmm. and Kyra, and everybody's getting a little drunk at like twelve in the afternoon. <laughs> Which and, same and. <laughs> She starts dancing off frisbee, which also she was bad at catching the frisbee when she was wearing her party shoes. But then she put on sneakers and she's good at frisbee now. And now she's dancing on it. And all the dudes just stop and stare at her. She was wearing her party shoes on her hands. It was really not a good whole thing. (laughs) It didn't make any sense. Well, and also like all those men get gunned down and you only (laughs) find out what happens to one of them. This is my like that was. So they have this like frisbee dance. All these dudes stop, are entranced by her siren song. Mm-hmm. It's a very, girl. very horny barbecue. And then they all guys. get shot. She, like, is, her brain is mangled and it's horrifying. And, yeah, you don't find out. And, like, he just takes the little girl, runs Back home. To There's a haunted huge, house. Right? <laughs> get the fuck out of town, dude. <laughs> What are you doing? Everybody knows where you live. Why are you going to the one place everybody knows where you live? Get out. But I guess I, it's supposed to be Sarah's kind of gotten a hold of him by that point, sort of, because he like, yeah. it's yeah. kind of imperceptible to slide into this like fugue where he's drugging Kyra. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, maybe going to drown Filling her, a bathtub. Yeah. yeah. And, and the only reason he gets out of that is, is joe's ghost i guess like and then like maddie's ghost also shows up to help fight yeah she's like a well. river monster yeah oh my god i forgot maddie shows up oh this book you know it's, and i'm talking about it and I'm, it sounds like I, I i hated it and i didn't it was like i didn't I either it no i didn't read, hate it but yeah. yeah now we're talking about stuff and i'm like oh no no it's, so- it's <laughs> like i would be I think this book, what it really needed was a serious structural edit. And I think the problem is that by the time you get to where King was in his career, when he wrote this, like nobody is going to give you a big, nobody's going to give you big structural notes on a thing that you wrote because Mm -hmm. you've already thrown this big public hissy fit about how much money you're getting paid. And like, no, nobody can tell you no anymore. And so if you have this book where the most interesting stuff is backgrounded, it starts with like 150 pages of character notes that you don't strictly really need to enjoy yeah. the entire rest of the book. Like there is a really interesting mm-hmm. like throwback gothic horror novel yeah. here, I mm-hmm. think. The, but, the kind of yeah. logic agnostic storytelling of this like dream state there's a time travel dream there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on that i'm really down for and really with him to like find out like what you said earlier like turn into a new chapter am i in a dream or not is this real or not Mm -hmm. i don't really care we'll find out like i'm here for that but yeah from a like information 
where do we get it and when. I don't need it to all line up perfectly, but it would be helpful if it came in a slightly different order and you maybe yeah, ditch some of that like publishing angst. <laughs> yeah, beginning. like like here, here's something that really gets to one of the ideas he grapples with that I actually really, really love is um, so this is Mike going up to Sarah laughs and he says, uh, just how scared was I as I approached Sarah laughs? I don't remember. I suspect that fright like pain is one of those things that slip our minds once they have passed. What I do remember is a feeling I'd had before when I was down here, especially when I was walking this road by myself. It was a sense that reality was thin. I think it is thin, you know, thin as lake ice after a thaw, and we fill our lives with noise and light and motion to hide that thinness from ourselves. But in places like Lane 42, you find that all the smoke and mirrors have been removed. What's left is the sound of crickets and the sight of green leaves darkening toward black, branches that make shapes like faces, the sound of your heart in your chest, the beat of the blood against the backs of your eyes, and the look of the sky as the day's blue blood runs out of its cheek. And some of the stuff that he does with... um. Like, like some of the later dream sequences, like the line between what is a dream and what is actually really happening is explicitly just removed a couple of times. Which is really fun. Yeah. And I think the, those spots where real, like what is real is just up in the air is mm-hmm. some of the more interesting stuff that the book is doing, especially from like a horror perspective. Agreed. Yeah, I feel like the way it's sort of, he's like the George Lucas of writing, I feel like. Nobody nobody wants to be like, hey, you know what? That's cool, but what if we didn't do that at all? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I have like, I was, I've been trying to get started on this novel and I'm doing character like introductions and there have been more than one time where I have gotten 20 pages in and been like, oh, you know what? Nobody's going to care about this at all. This is mm-hmm. all for me. I needed mm-hmm. to know this, but I got to cut all of this, which is just yeah. a bummer. But at the same time, you kind of, and he, yeah, he doesn't have to do that anymore. He's come around. It goes full circle where you're an amateur and you don't because you don't realize you should. Then you mm-hmm. do, you get successful and then you don't because you don't have and you to don't. and you're going to yeah, buy my right. book anyway, suckers. Um, well, you know what? Good for him. I hope to someday be able to yell suckers as I put whatever the hell I want into my best-selling exactly. novel. I, I hope that people tell me that I'm a genius auteur for so long that I myself begin to believe it. Mm-hmm. Same. <laughs> I think that well, probably some pretty good stopping point. I mean, yeah. I think we've touched on, I think we hit more of the book than I expected we would. Um, Cause there's just so much of it. There is yeah. a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah, you um, kept bringing up stuff that I was like, oh, my God, I forgot about that ridiculous <laughs> thing. It does. But, it just kind of washes over you. I, I'll As we kind of close out, I will just say that first sequence with the thumping in the basement, that was a little spooky. Mm. I was reading that at, like, midnight, and I couldn't decide if I wanted to keep reading or if I should just try to go to bed right away. <laughs> I, that, was, that was effective. That I was me. sitting outside during that point, and the sun had gone down, and I had a tiki torch and that was the only light and it was dark. And I was like, this was such a mistake. Why <laughs> did I do this to myself? I took a photo of like my little reading nook and put it on Instagram and was like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> Cause I couldn't shake it after that. I was just like alone in my house. Like, babe, when are you coming home? Kept texting my boyfriend like every 10 minutes. Are you almost here? I need some company. Um, yeah. Yeah. I cut. So my recommendation is everyone just skip the first 200 pages Mm-hmm. Just get right into that sucker, and uh, you'll love it. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the man intended. Just like the yeah. king intended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Boy, Craig, that was just delightful, we don't you think? We just had the best time getting we were spooked. We were so charmed and scared. <laughs> yeah. The whole episode. Uh, if you, the listener, were charmed or scared, you can let us know what charmed or scared you at uh, our social media feeds, which are twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. You can also write in with your feelings about Stephen King to overduepod at gmail.com. Uh, and once again, if you want to check out the Unspoiled Show, follow Unspoiled Show on Twitter or it's unspoiledpodcast.com, right? Yeah, and uh, you can search Unspoiled on iTunes and probably most other places you can get podcasts and uh, find them there directly, too. Great. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, our show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com. Up there, we've got all kinds of links. It's a link of Palooza. Um, we've got links to iTunes and Google Play and RSS. We've got links to our Patreon page. we got links to the HeadGum, our podcast network. They're pretty okay. Uh, we've got, And we've also got a list of books that I'm just now realizing still says our September schedule at the top of it. Yeah, we got so <laughs> spooked we didn't update the words. <laughs> um, next week, you guys are getting five weeks of Spooktober this Whoa. year, which is a lot of a lot of Spooktober, a lot of spooks. Uh, next week, we're going to close out this year's Spooktober Spooktacular with the uh, interview with the vampire by Anne Rice. Yep, yep. I cracked it open uh, for the first time earlier this week, and I I don't know if I'm spooked yet, but there's a potential for spooks here, I think. Okay, vampires there's, are spooky. The, the descriptions of vampires are quite spooky. Okay. Are they sexy? Not yet, but there's still time. <laughs> okay. And then at some point, Andrew, maybe... Maybe. Your feed will get haunted. Mm. If you go into the bathroom at night in the dark... And you say overduepodcast.com <laughs> three times in the mirror. You may just hear our second ghost stories and urban legends bonus episode. When will it happen? Nobody, Nobody knows. knows. Not even us. Because we haven't recorded it yet. But we bet it'll be fun when but it does it's gonna happen. Be, yeah, it's going to be super fun. Probably. <laughs> Thanks for listening, y'all. Yeah, everybody. Thanks for thanks for listening. Um, we had a good time. We hope you did too. Until we talk to you next time, everyone. Let's try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.